In Mark chapter 7, verse 8, it says, You have let go of the commands of God, and you are holding on to human traditions. Today, we're learning about the importance of hand washing. How timely. This is day nine. Welcome to the Journey Through Mark podcast, where every day we set aside space in our lives to experience God's Word. Together, we'll discuss the context and meaning of each passage and how the book of Mark can help us understand more about who God is and the story He's writing for each of us every day. Welcome to day nine of the Journey Through Mark podcast. I'm joined once again by Brendan Lang and Melissa Payne. Hi. Question for you. Did you wash your hands before you came in here? I did wash my hands and I sanitized them. We got that Which order though? Does one negate the other? Like if two hmm. positives make a negative? Mm-hmm. I don't In this situation? So. Only if I'm not washing my hands. That's I mean, if make my Melissa hands is are curiously raw, quiet right now. That, <laughs> she did not like, wash I her mean, hands. my hands are just raw. So, oh, yeah. Because I mean, of all the literally, hand Yeah. <laughs> you need to moisturize. I do. But then I'm afraid that that is going to negate what I just did. Yeah. Well, <laughs> got Corona moisturizer. Right. <laughs> corona infected. Yeah. That's like most people's standard house rule now. If you come into their house, you wash your hands first. Oh, for sure. Can, it's like everybody has a baby that yeah, you're going to hold. It's true. <laughs> but the baby is us. It's us. <laughs> yeah. We're all the baby. Here's my question for today. What's like an unwritten rule in your house that bugs you if people don't follow? But like maybe not the obvious ones. Mm-hmm. Like hand washing, mm-hmm. remove shoes when you come in. Well, I I was gonna, that's what I was going to say. Oh, really? But that's a the lot shoes. of people. No, not everybody. Does it really bug you? You're it, secretly watching people's feet if they don't take their shoes off? No, they walk I in? don't expect that of guests. Okay. I feel like I look at the rug and I see at the door, are there shoes there? If there are, I will take mine off as well. Totally. If everyone else is kind of just walking in with shoes on. Do you have rules like that? I don't have the shoe rule, but I did have some friends come and visit and I realized I'm a little bit more particular than I thought I was. <laughs> like what? Like, you know, when you're sitting there and someone's not using a coaster Oof. or like, you know, something gets spilled yeah, the on the table rule. and you're like, oh my if you, are they gonna could clean you just that clean that up? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, and they were, are, they were why great. Why are you twitching, Melissa? Because <laughs> I did not realize it affected me that much. Yeah. Because I live by myself. Use a coaster at Melissa's house. I know. That's what I've learned today. <laughs> Brendan? You don't, Maybe. well, I, it's hard for me to think now, but yeah. usually those things come up when you have people who have different policies, you right. know, and then they enter your house and life's a little bit and different. And I like all the dishes, at least in the sink. They don't have to be oh, really? in the dishwasher. Just I don't care about that so much. As long as they use dishes. When like we'll Wait, have food who out. Does not use dishes? And people just like, <laughs> I'll have like paper plates or like regular plates. Right. And like you go in and somebody just takes a handful of brownies and start walking around. Oh, crumbs. Brownie fetti yeah. all over the place. <laughs> just throwing a house party. Yeah. That's like one of my things At that I'm like. At least take a napkin. Yeah. Like just something. Or when they take the whole bottle of beverage for themselves and it's like Ooh. a two liter. And you're like, Wait, that's for everybody. Wait that? a minute. Who does <laughs> I'm just kidding. About a liter. Who are your friends? They're horrible people. I'll tell you that. I don't know why I hang out with them. It's you. That's the spoiler. It's these two. It's these two people. Brendan's the handful of brownies guy. No, I'm kidding. uh, (laughs) I've never seen you do that. Why dirty a plate? I mean, I do it late at night when I am the one that's responsible for cleaning up at the end of the day. I'm like, I'm not going to dirty another plate. I've already got this dishwasher running. So I'm a hypocrite is what I'm saying. But I feel like I'm like trying to avoid finger food kind of stuff right now. I yeah, want to like that's use a fork and a plate and, you know, I don't sure. want to just be well, like I in said, my mouth. <laughs> right. Well, like I said, I say that and I say I don't want people to walk around with food, but I'm a hypocrite. But speaking of hypocrites, Ooh. we're talking to the Pharisees today. <laughs> 
Jesus is anyways. We're not yes. talking to him. They're Just long talk. gone. Man, that's a great lead in right there. But, talking to each other. Brendan, there's a lot of hand washing, a lot of hypocritical talk. Why don't you take us through our commentary for today and we'll get deeper into that. Day nine, human traditions and the commands of God. Today, Jesus again finds himself in trouble with the Pharisees and teachers of the law. As we've already seen in Mark, these people have accused him of blasphemy, of eating with sinners, of failing to fast, of breaking the Sabbath, and of casting out demons by the powers of Satan. Now they have a new complaint with Jesus. After seeing his disciples eat without washing, they ask him, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? To appreciate the angst of these religious leaders and Jesus's response, it helps to explore some background on the tradition of the elders. In the centuries leading up to the time of Jesus, officials from Pharisaic schools of thought developed an elaborate system of rules. These rules, which were considered as authoritative as scripture, were designed to put a fence around the Jewish laws so that people would not accidentally break any of them. In some cases, these rules helped people know how to obey laws that seemed unclear. In other cases, they function more like supplements to the biblical laws. This is the case with the issue of handwashing. Scripture records only one law about handwashing, but the Jewish Mishnah, a written record of these additional rules, dedicates more space to rules about handwashing than the Bible gives to all the covenant laws combined. Jesus could have responded to his accusers by pointing out how their unending lists of rules had ironically undermined the law rather than fenced it in. God's one instruction about handwashing applied only to priests when they participated in sacred meals. Elsewhere in scripture, God allows common people to eat common meals no matter the status of their hands. It wasn't a problem for the disciples to eat their food without washing. But since this is the seventh time Jesus has been confronted with this kind of accusation, he cuts right to the chase. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Jesus' response to his accusers should challenge us in the church today. We have our own rules and traditions. They aren't all bad, but we have to be careful that we don't value our rules so much that we forget what has come from God and why. When we lose sight of the original purpose of God's commands, we can actually undermine his law, even in our efforts to keep it. For day nine, we're reading Mark chapter six, verses 45 through chapter seven, verse 23. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplace. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, 
Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Melissa, why don't you take us through our discussion questions for today? First question, in Exodus 33, 19 through 34, verse 7, God famously reveals his name and his glory to Moses when he passes by him. In Mark 6, 48 through 50, Jesus similarly decides to pass by his disciples and then identify himself saying, it is I, literally, I am. What is this story teaching us about Jesus? Why should this have been a cause for courage for the disciples? Where do you need more courage in your life today? Second question. In Mark 7, 6 through 7, Jesus quotes Isaiah 29, 13 to show how his accusers from Jerusalem were similar to the people of Jerusalem back in Isaiah's day. Both groups looked like they were faithful on the outside, but on the inside, both groups were far from God. What has been the status of your heart lately? Are you more concerned with what others see on the outside or about what God sees on the inside? So, Brendan, in today's commentary, you didn't really talk much about Jesus walking on water. You just breeze past that? <laughs> like Jesus we, breezed past them on the boat? He didn't breeze past. He, he was about to. He intended to pass by. <laughs> which is very by. funny. It is. He's just like signals, like he's on a bike. He's just like puts his hand out. He's like, I'm going to overtake. Yeah. And they're like, uh, help. Well, they didn't even know it was him, right? Right. Well, it seems like they didn't know it was him until he got out of the boat at the end or of into the, the trip. Or right. out of the boat? Yeah. Like when he gets out of the boat is what the scripture says. Okay. Yeah. Verse 54, as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized. So it's other people who recognize him. Oh, okay. So they point, knew. They didn't totally understand what was going on. I and mean, they didn't understand Jesus. And that's kind of the point. Right. Why does it bring it back around to the loaves? 
Wasn't that earlier? That was yesterday. It was. Right. I mean, there's actually this theme with bread we're going to continue to see. The very first story we'll read tomorrow, you have like the Syrophoenician woman who she's talking about eating bread. That's mm-hmm. a fun word. Syrophoenician. Wow. I'm stuck on that. I was, I was tuning him out at that point. <laughs> Syrophoenician. That's <laughs> actually what's even more interesting. And Matthew, she's called a Canaanite woman. But that's another. We'll get the plot that thickens. I know, right? <laughs> this is the stuff Stay that gets Brendan really excited. <laughs> I mean, that's exciting stuff. But yeah. in that story, she talks about how Jesus says these hard words to her first, let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. She's basically asking for Jesus to drive out a demon. We talked about this in Philippians, how dogs was a word that sometimes referred to Gentiles. She's a Gentile woman. Kind of a hard statement. Okay, spoiler alert. I'm going to stop you right there. Wait, this is tomorrow. Is this tomorrow? Hang on. <laughs> just let me get to this because we may not talk about this tomorrow. <laughs> then she replies, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So there's this connection between faith and bread and seeing and hearing. And we've seen this through the bookmark and we're going to continue to see it. This bread thing is a theme. Mm-hmm. But the disciples misunderstood what was going on with the loaves. They were right. said about the bread. But it, yeah. it were following a line, this theme that's going to track through the entire book of right. Mark. And the point is the disciples, even though they're following Jesus, mm-hmm. even though he's sending them out as Israel reconstituted, they're helping him reestablish the kingdom of God. That's why he picks 12 of them. They're failing left and right to yeah. understand who he is. Right. And it's the same thing even right here. In contrast, and this is why I talk about the Seraphonician woman, there's this discussion about bread, mm-hmm. but she sees, she knows exactly exactly who Jesus is and what he's capable of doing and how he's not just a king for the Jews, he's a king for the world. Right. But the disciples' hearts were hardened. Yeah, they're hardened. So the question is, do you understand the bread? Do you understand the bread? Yeah. It is funny that you breeze past in the commentary this like walking on water, well, but it is just an example. You can only talk about so, so many so, totally yeah. things. Yeah. Well, what I thought was fun is that Jesus is literally showing his power over the thing that sets us up in the next story, which is the washing. He's literally walking on oh, water. That's no big deal. That's something that's that good. I figured I made the connection for you. There you the go. Because I know. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I just want to bridge this gap. But this is the focus today is the ceremonial hand washing. What is this culture of hand washing? Why does this matter at all? So beginning in Old Testament times, God. Okay, and I'm not talking about today. Today I get it. There's like a lot of viruses going <laughs> there. Everybody wash your hands we right now. Like just to... pause the podcast, go wash your hands. Right. I do think that that can be helpful for us understanding what's going on. Mm-hmm. Sure. Their thing in terms of more like spiritual viruses, but I mean, we wash our hands for 20 seconds or whatever they say, right. you know, sing yeah. happy birthday twice or something, because we recognize that there might be something on there that we can't see. Mm-hmm. For Jews at this time, you go back to ancient Israel. So God commands specifically the priests. This goes back to mm-hmm. a command God gave the priests before they ate sacred food in the vicinity of the tabernacle, which is where God's dwelling was made. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to wash the their hands before they serve, eat, things like that. Over the years, this law is spread among all the people of ancient Israel Mm -hmm. for good reason. We've talked about this previously, this idea that they wanted to fence in the law, the religious Mm -hmm. leaders. Mm -hmm. And if you want to make sure that a few people don't break some specific laws, you fence it in, you add more laws, more rules, more regulations, and that sort of protects the original laws. And so the law is extended to all of Israel, all the Jews, and not only this, it extends to all types of meals. And Mm -hmm. so the expectation Mm -hmm. is that whenever they go to marketplaces, marketplaces are places where there's uncleanliness associated with. When I say uncleanliness, I'm not talking about like dirt and grime. I'm talking about sort of this spiritual contaminant. There's a lot more we can say about that, just really generalizing. So they're in the marketplaces. They do the whole walking on water thing. They end up in this place called Gennesaret and the sick are coming to them at the marketplaces and Jesus is doing his healing there. Then you get this note, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of law, this is chapter seven, verse one, gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled. That is unwashed. They know that they're defiled. One, because they just become defiled in the course 
of the day and you should always wash before you eat. But notice what it says here. Verse four, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So again, there's this idea that every time you go in a place like the marketplace, you need to wash your hands so you can remove sort of this spiritual contaminant from you and you don't make yourself unclean. Mm. But I love what Jesus's reaction was to it. This is the Jesus I like. You can just almost see him like taking a deep breath when they like confront him and he goes, I say it was right. Yeah. (laughs) It's so fighting too, because they know Isaiah probably better than anybody. They're waiting for Isaiah's prophecies to be fulfilled. Yeah. He's almost using it against them. I mean, that's really good. It's first century smack talk. It's him using the thing that they use against others and shows how they're getting it wrong. And he gives this really good analogy about this issue with Corban Mm -hmm. and devoting a gift that was intended for your parents. Can you explain what that is, Corban? It's a word that basically means this has been brought to God. It's been offered to God. Okay. And so it's dedicated to him. So if you set aside a gift, you say, this is Corban, this is intended for God, then it goes to God. Now, the issue is if this was something that was originally supposed to go to a mother or father. And oh. you think about the fifth commandment, honor your father or mother, mm-hmm. right? So this is a important value, especially in a culture where as a child, you're supposed to care for your parents because as they age in life, you don't have welfare, you don't have right. social security. I mean, you right. are their social security. So you give your gifts to your parents, you provide for your parents, you honor them in that way Mm -hmm. so that you will have long life because by doing that, you give them long life and hopefully your kids will help you have long life. So that's the issue there. Basically, he's showing how different the biblical law and some of their own traditions Mm -hmm. sort of conflict and how them emphasizing a certain tradition actually undermines, nullifies is the word he uses. He says they nullify the law through their traditions and you do many things like that. And he's saying essentially that's a little bit like what you're doing here. There Mm -hmm. are ways in which you are actually nullifying, you're undermining God's law because you're trying to emphasize and protect it. And that's the great iron is sometimes we... We don't do that today. (laughs) Not at all. We've passed that because the Pharisees were the last For sure, they got it. We learned from their mistakes (laughs) and we're good now. And I think that's the thing we need to think about today as Christians. Is is it possible that we've established policies, Mm -hmm. ideas, regulations, rules, whatever you want to call them, to protect what God teaches us in Scripture, to protect the instructions from Scripture Mm -hmm. so that we don't break those instructions, Mm -hmm. but we're actually inadvertently undermining those or other instructions Mm -hmm. through these traditions. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah, for sure. It's like you added rules that take you away from the original intent, even from the rules. Mm -hmm. Either those rules or sometimes it's other rules. It's like you don't see the consequences of your rules. You don't realize how the rules you've made, which are designed to protect this one law, actually undermine this other law. Right. Now, the thing I want to point out is that you have to do this at some level, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, this is the type of thing people do in sermons. Preachers do every single week. It's like, here's a principle. Now, what does this look like? How do you apply this? Right. Yeah. The issue is when we make those applications black and white and say, this is how it always has yeah. to be. Like people need clarity sometimes. And like, how do we live out principles mm-hmm. in life? So it's just, how do we think about those? Right. And I think Jesus was really getting to the heart issue, not necessarily what they were doing. It's exactly what I was going to say. Like you know? it, he says it when he quotes his version of the office to them. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Well, so you know, Isaiah is one of Jesus's favorite things to quote. Yeah, because it's all true. about fulfillment. It's so like when saying, we, we, it's like when we just office. quote the yeah. office in, in the office. There you know, you yeah. So, but uh-huh. he says these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So that's really the heart of the issue. They're doing it, but they're doing it for the wrong reasons. They're doing mm. it for the sake of the rules rather than to right. get to the heart of what God cares about. And you can see that they care about being seen, and they're watching what everyone else is doing yeah. because they're quick to call out who's not doing it. Right. Well, and hand washing could be very easy, but it sounds like a very long ceremonial process for them. 
in some cultures, it, it places still a, is, right? Yeah. I would say, especially back then, you mm -hmm. go to Qumran, you go outside the temple, right? You can right. see what they call these mikvahs. These are ritual baths where you're dunked, you're baptized, essentially, you know, right. you're, you're washed entirely. And that was the expectation in some communities. Now, for right. the Pharisees, they only expected that you wash your hands. You didn't have to wash your whole self. But yeah, I mean, this was something you had to do repeatedly and especially before every meal. I mean, I'm not against hand washing for sure, but especially, especially now. right now, everybody <laughs> wash your hands. Again, this is your second reminder. Right. Here's my question is, how do we balance discipline and tradition with this possibility of progress and open-mindedness to what God is actually doing? Because this is the difficult part. There's a lot of things that we've established mm -hmm. as a greater C church that are helpful. And there's other things that are less helpful and right. the church needs to change and adapt with society. So how do we do this? Well, the thing I would say is I think we have to get to the heart of scripture, mm -hmm. get to the heart of God's law. That's what I'm Jesus said too. Well, it, <laughs> exactly. I mean, which is not always the easiest thing to do. I'll acknowledge that because they look very black and white, but what's black and white isn't the letter of the law. What's black and white is the spirit of the law. What's black and white is the principle of law. What is the purpose for a law? Whenever I talk about the law with people, this it's is like- the only thing you've taught me maybe. That's <laughs> Well, hopefully you learn it. I mean, and not that you need it, not the end. But hopefully, I, don't know. I mean, it's, it's something the church needs to hear, which is that God doesn't give laws just because. When He mm -hmm. gives instruction to give rules, He always has a purpose. Now, that doesn't mean we always understand what those purposes are. Sure. Right. But there's a reason for it. And so, in some cultures, when you move to a different culture, a different time, different place, what we have to keep in mind is what was the original purpose and what does it look like to maintain that purpose in that mm. new culture, new society? And maybe mm -hmm. it looks like the law is exactly the same, but it might actually look like the law is a little bit different. And you can see this when you see how the laws are actually talked about sometimes in the New Testament by Paul mm -hmm. and others, how Paul actually changes the way he interprets or talks about some of these laws because mm -hmm. he recognizes that in some cultures and places, these can take on different meanings given their context. And so all this is to say, we need to get back and dig in and figure out what is God actually trying to get at when he's giving instructions and then hold loosely the black and white applications. Mm -hmm. And remember again, what is the principle that sits behind this. Same thing with Sabbath. It's about giving people a chance to rest and be refreshed and remember that God is in control. And sometimes that looks like 24 hours of doing nothing, but sometimes it might be something different. Sometimes you have to step in and heal people and do things like that because that's what it also looks like to give people rest and refreshment. Mm -hmm. This reminds me of my art classes, my color theory class. We would talk about painting in naturalistic ways. Now, like in modernist painting, there is true black and white, but like in naturalist paintings, if you look around, nothing's actually ever truly black or white. It's always some shade just off of black. Even things that are supposed to be painted black mm -hmm. are something off of it. And that's something that I've brought into the way that I view faith is even in those things that you see as very stark black and white are never truly there. You're always somewhere in between mm -hmm. and living in that gray area is really what we have to do when we're dealing with these sort of you hold things rules loosely. and principles mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. we need to get to the heart of the principle and we need to do that and i feel like one of the ways that this is most apparent in the church at least mm -hmm. is just how the church has changed from generation to generation and the way that people were brought up and raised each generation has different experiences in their lives that mm -hmm. shape them we're living through one right now with right. all this virus stuff this is going to shape our generation in, right. in a way for sure i mean just like 9-11 did just like World War II did, just like Vietnam did. Those things shape everything right. about us, including our faith. So here's my question is, how do we treat those who live and practice their faith differently than ours? 
I think you leave room for grace. I think you try to understand each other. I do think it's okay to have confrontation though too. And I think that's something we need to recover is how can we talk to one another in hard ways, but also mm. grace-filled ways. Yeah. Right. Because that's what Jesus, well, Jesus isn't showing them a lot of grace, <laughs> but <laughs> this is the seventh time he's had this kind of conversation just in the book of Mark. We can imagine he had many more. We've talked about people who are heart of heart, who can't mm-hmm. see. The mm-hmm. Pharisees can't see who he is and what he's doing. And they can't see the grace that he's trying to show these people in the marketplace. They can't see the grace he's trying to show to his disciples. And I think that's what we need. We should be able to call out when we see someone doing something that we perceive as being wrong. We should have space for that. Otherwise, we're never improving as a society. We're never improving as Christians. But I also think we need to recover the ability to have dialogue. And I think that's like an attack. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think we need to have ears to hear what other people say. And I think we need to be open hearing that too. It's easy for me to say that about other people. For sure. It's a lot harder for me to learn that for myself, to Mm -hmm. know that I need to have ears to hear. I've been trying to teach you that for so long. (laughs) (laughs) But also, again, that we're open, but that we're not afraid to speak what we think might be true. Right. And that's why I think I love working with students, especially right now, because they are so bold in their questions. And they ask questions that I think I was afraid to ask at their age. And, you know, I feel like we get in these conversations where they're asking, okay, so why were there Old Testament laws and then New Testament laws? And like, which ones do we obey? And how do we know that this in Leviticus is no longer applicable, but then, you know, then there's the Ten Commandments. Do we follow those? laws. And so it's interesting having these questions with students because I'm questioning those things as well. And I feel like I have to go back to the scripture that, you know, says that Jesus didn't come to Oh, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. Yeah. But that he came to fulfill it. And so I think that idea of grace that he extended to us, you know, on the cross, I believe that that is like what we have to remember when we're trying to be so black and white about the law. I think what you did say there that hits me is Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Mm -hmm. That does change things. It changes the way that we live. And we need to look at Jesus's life much more closely than we do. Some of those more rigid Old Testament things. Brendan is literally dying inside right now. I know. I'm like, I don't know what he's fulfilling. He's he's showing (laughs) us what it looks like. Exactly. You have to know that law in order to fulfill it and understand the prevalence that Jesus had on earth. Mm -hmm. And the piece of this that I find really valuable is Jesus decides to know people before he starts to speak into their lives. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think we can take today too. No matter where we are at on the spectrum of what we believe and how we practice our faith is if you seek to know people Mm -hmm. first, you're going to understand their perspective much better. So I understand speaking truth and reclaiming this idea of having good, healthy discussions for the betterment of society. Mm -hmm. That starts with just being able to accept people for where they're at. Because let's be real. We all grow up with all sorts of different variables and we're all going to try to do the best that we can. Again, it's this issue of like, do you have eyes to see and ears to hear Mm -hmm. or your heart's hardened? And we're in a culture where people's hearts are very hardened one way or another. And we can't have a conversation. Nothing gets through. Mm -hmm. And if we could figure out how to sit in the middle and have ears that are open. So we actually are in a spot where if we think something's wrong, we can actually speak it, but we also might be able to hear and understand people's perspectives. I think we'd be a lot further along as a society Mm -hmm. and as a church. Thanks for joining us for the Journey Through Mark podcast. If this is your first time, we're so glad you checked us out. 
check out even more resources, children and family resources, and ebooks for all ages, visit our journey page at willowjourney.org and share your journey experience on social media with the hashtag willowjourney. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministries of Willow Creek Community Church, check out willowcreek.org. We'll see you tomorrow.